This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. On the show, you'll hear from leading Australian business owners as they share the lessons they've learned building their companies. You'll learn from their successes as well as some of the challenges they've faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques you can use to improve your business. I'm your host, Savan Tuna, and I'm a director at Alexander Spencer, and I'm really passionate about helping Australian businesses succeed. Today, we're speaking to James Letet, Managing Director of AS Mortgage Partners, a mortgage broking firm that assists clients with their personal, commercial, and business lending needs. In today's episode, you'll learn how to finance the purchase of your commercial premises, the difference between business and residential lending, what unsecured lending is, and the benefits of using a mortgage broker. Let's jump in. James, welcome to The Bottom Line. Thanks for having me. On the front, we should let everyone know that we're business partners in AS Mortgage Partners. I wanted to talk to you about business lending today, but before we dive into lending for business clients, tell me a little bit about your background and how you got into the banking world. I was at NAB Business Banking for, for 10 years, so I was sort of fresh out of the, the grad program there many years ago and straight into into business banking. So yeah, I guess that that's entailed my whole career being associated or, or dealing with small businesses, medium-sized businesses, and sort of later on in the career, some more larger sort of smaller corporate types operating as their, their conduit to the bank, managing them day-to-day, looking at lending transactions for them. And yeah, it tends to be a, a sort of a spectrum of everything. As you'd know, anyone that runs a business, there's a whole lot of moving parts with it, whether it be a need for, for business lending, cash flow, looking after the individual directors, home loans, and all those sort of things. So seeing a range of different industries and businesses with NAB and yeah, happened to come across an accounting firm one day as well. So yeah, we were really excited to have you as our business banker and that led us into going into business and starting AS Mortgage Partners. Do you want to sort of tell us a little bit about why you wanted to get out on your own and, and leave the bank and and what were the motivations behind that? Yeah, well, absolutely. I guess for me, the, the thing you love most about the job is is that relationship and that interconnection between you and your clients that's the most exciting thing about being a, a relationship banker and yeah for me I guess I'd, I'd look to be honest I'd been at NAB my whole career didn't necessarily know what was next and wanted to explore something different and the opportunity to go out on your own opens up just a whole new world instead of dealing with one bank's set of rules or one bank's policies you get to see a whole sort of raft of what's out there and I think that's the ultimate thing now I'm equipped with a far wider sort of tools in the toolkit if you like of how to help a client. So we've talked about business lending but can you sort of elaborate on the major differences between business lending and and residential home loan lending? So the first sort of point with that I guess is that home loan lending here in Australia is very, it's very regulated. There's a set of rules that the regulators and APRA set that all banks have to adhere to. I mean, you know, for anyone that's probably gone through a home loan, you know, joke that they, that they'll pull your life apart. They'll see what you had for breakfast that morning. And it's a real detail. You know, you've got to tick all the boxes. Commercial, the regulations are a little bit easy. You've got a little bit more wriggle room there because it's not the same sort of policies and regulations don't come over the top. So certainly with anything commercial, the banks are far more pulled to be able to look at the right deal for the right client and make a commercial decision as opposed to a home loan. I mean, a lot of the metrics and the general banking philosophies around, oh, well, you know, do we have security or can they afford it? What's the customer's history? All those 
are still applicable, but certainly with commercial lending, there's a, there's a little bit more wriggle room to, to, you know, maybe do some creative stuff. So James, I wanted to run through a case study today. One of the most common lending that we see from a commercial point of view, or at least a goal for our clients is to own the premises that they're in. It's a real thing that comes out quite often, whether it's an office space, a factory, warehouse, business owners don't love to pay the rent and they'd rather own their own premises. So I wanted to sort of run through a scenario with you on how a client would go about achieving that result. What would you look for when assessing a client for a successful application in a process where they're looking at acquiring premises that they're currently renting or equivalent to what they're renting? And how does that sort of go? sort of give you the 101 of, of banking here. Uh, the first thing a bank will look for is sort of their character test. So, you know, has the client got a nice clean credit check? Have they met all their existing liabilities, their loan repayments, their rent repayments? You know, there's nothing adverse that pop up on a credit check. And that's across the board, whatever sort of lending you're going for these days, that's, that's your ticket to the game, if you like. So that character test is the first one. The second one is, you know, a bank will typically lend anywhere, you know, between say maybe 60 to 80% in some cases of what the property's worth. There are some exceptions to that depending on the specific scenarios, but you do need some element of cash or other supporting security to go into the transaction. So just ascertaining, I guess, do they have that equity or cash there and what does that look like? And the third one is clearly then around doing your income and your debt servicing equation. So if we're looking at small business, we might be looking at a couple of years financials to confirm that there's enough profit there to support taking on the loan, obviously factoring in that, well, that rental uh, expense will cease going forward. So all of a sudden, what does that look like if that rent is you know added to, to top line and then factoring in that you've got a loan in place? So I know that's, that's very simple. There are a lot of other moving parts that come with it. You know, if the business is in growth mode instead we might look at all right well hang on you know could we look at some projections or something like that to sort of help talk through it so key things are always character test bit of equity or cash or security going in and also yeah that that income debt servicing equation in terms of the equity that you need that 60 to 80 percent is it worth sort of mainly because of the type of property the risk associated with the client or is it just bank policy that that they have internally that determines whether it's 60 or 80? Yeah, it is a mixture of everything. The banks will have their individual policies. Some will be very firm on just being right. If this is an asset lend, well, our, our cutoff is is X. But, you know, majority, in particular, the majors are, are sort of able to work around the edges a little bit with that. So you are right. Some properties would be seen as a little bit more riskier than us. I'll give you an extreme example. Say you were buying a petrol station, something like that. I mean, it's rare you'd probably get someone owner occupying that, but say as an investment, a bank will see that with a little bit more risk than they would a, a basic generic warehouse. You know, a bit that comes down to, I guess, the, the, you know, the secondary sale of that, that there's probably a, a larger market for a basic sort of shell or basic sort of warehouse shell than, than a petrol station. At the end of the day as well, if the client's got a great business, a great balance sheet, they've got great income, well, that's where you can start to maybe push the envelope a little bit around that, that LVR, we call it the loan to value ratio that the bank will lend. So we've seen cases here where, all right, we, we've pushed that envelope maybe outside a little bit the bank standard policy. And the reason for that is we've got a great business with great directors, with great servicing that we can mitigate that risk and therefore justify going to a higher gearing level. So it is, you know, you often do get asked a lot, oh, well, what, what LVR can you go to and what rate? Well, it's, 
in the commercial world, it's very much a, a horses for courses, case by case. And, you know, if we are going to push the envelope on something like that, well, we need to mitigate it. And often that can be about by the strength of the directors and all the business. We talked about the application process in terms of what they might need as a high level. When you go through the application process, is it similar to a residential process or are there major differences in the application? Do you need to provide, you know, your personal spending and if, you, if the director has a credit card, like how is commercial lending or the client that's buying the factory, do they just need to show how the business is performing or is it greater than that? Yeah, again, and this is, I guess, the beauty of of the position I'm in here, dealing with a, a spectrum of, of lenders. All the lenders, you know, your major lenders and that will look at the whole picture. So they will look at you as a director in your individual position, understand that, okay, well, we need to make sure that, that you, Savannah, as a purchaser, can afford what you've got happening outside of the business. But I guess, yeah, the, the beautiful thing, as I sort of said, with the spectrum of lenders we've got, there are some lenders that have different policies and they'll just hone in on the business in isolation. So they might simply just, and even today we've seen some examples with some self-declaration sort of policies or BAS statements. You know, there's even some of that stuff creeping through now where if the business can afford it in isolation, well, yeah, they'll, they can certainly look at it. You mentioned interest rates and we did talk about the LVR and, and the application process, but in terms of once you've got the loan, how do the terms work? Is it a five-year loan, 10-year loan, 30-year loan in the example of the sort of owner-occupied scenario? Yeah, it's a good question and different banks will have different products around this. Probably, you know, five years ago, you wouldn't have seen too many business loans really longer than 15 years. They just they just didn't exist. But I think the banks are sort of taking a bit more of a commercial view now. And we are seeing some almost 25, 30-year loan terms, particularly for something like that, where the bank will typically match a loan term to the purpose. So if you're buying a property that you're going to own or occupied for the next 20, 25 years, well, that makes intuitive sense that you could line up that term with that. Some other lenders have some products where, you know, if, if the purpose is a little bit different. They might only align it on a two or three year term. Now that doesn't mean the loan has to be paid back after that period, but that's where we step in and help renew the loan after that sort of period. But yeah, I think I think it's been really great being able to see a lot of the lenders now push that loan term out a little bit in line with, with a client who might be there for, for 25 years running their business, as it certainly helps the serviceability and the income equation when that loan term is pushed out. And in terms of the interest rate and not only the interest rate, are the interest rates higher than residential or what are you seeing in the market in terms of the differences are between commercial rates versus residential yes. home loan rates? So commercial, they have far more scope. They'll price for risk. You can't just go to the, the website of a NAB or an ANZ and see what their commercial rates are. They're far more bespoke, if you like, around the particular transaction and Exactly as you allude to there, a, a transaction that might have a much lower loan to value ratio, might have a great income and, and servicing metric behind it, will naturally get a cheaper home loan rate because the risk to the, in the eyes of the bank is seen as better. But yeah, so it is a really odd time that we, we have. We have seen commercial owner-occupied, fully secured rates under the scenario that we're sort of talking about now, you know, almost cheaper than than some you know investment home loan rates it's a very strange set of yeah. circumstances it certainly wasn't the case three or four years ago and it's just with the the way that the banks price home loan that their access to money is just so so cheap at the moment so probably a very unique situation where you are almost getting the equivalent of home loan rates for this sort of lending and in terms of interest only and then this whole p and i obviously this is a tax deductible lending and 
and as all clients love, we all love tax deductions and the interest would be deductible in this case. With the interest only and then being able to pay the term, can you just talk through how in a commercial space the interest only principle and interest works? And for the listeners out there, just describe what we're talking about in terms of what does P&I mean sure. versus interest only? Yeah. The basic difference between the two, P&I meaning principal and interest, means from from day one, if you take out a, a $500,000 loan, on day one, every repayment is made up of a principal component, which is the, the, the original capital that you started with, plus an interest component. And in theory, over the course of that loan, the loan will completely extinguish because each month you're chipping away bit of principal and a bit of interest. This is the way most home loans, owner-occupied home loans that you might you might live in are structured this way. And that's so you start paying the debt down from day one. In the commercial space with this, yeah, again, that flexibility part is a, is a big part of it. And we do, we probably see majority of clients opting to go interest only on this, where interest only is each month you just pay the, the equivalent of the interest that's accumulated. So how it works is each day in the background, the bank will calculate sort of a daily interest amount and then usually that's charged monthly. So get the benefit with a lot of loans these days for putting the extra cash in if you want. But to sort of pedal back on your question, 100% that's something that can be done. Again, if you're pushing the envelope and you're really going to an 80% or you're, you're going out there on something that the bank might see as riskier, well, they might say, well, look, we're happy to go to that starting position of 80% or 75%, whatever it is. But in doing that, we want to see that paying down from day one. The, of course, the, the opposite of that is if you're going in and you've got an ISU only in at 50%, the bank can sit pretty comfortably with that and majority would have no issue giving you some sort of interest only term, might be three, five years, something like that. But again, the beauty of the commercial space is we can sit down in two or three years time and say, hey, look, position's changed or might want to put cash aside for something else. We can have those ongoing discussions with the lender to, to move it as we need. James, there are obviously four major banks and their sister companies that everyone has heard of. Can you talk about the offers that commercial clients have access to from some of the smaller lenders that our listeners might not be aware of? Mm. So we've seen sort of a real growth and you probably see the the ads on TV a bit around some of these fintechs. I'll start with them. These guys have come onto the scene to try and help a client with a, a cash flow. So if you needed, you know, if you needed a quick 50, 100 grand, in theory, you can get that really just almost presenting your bank statements to the bank. So they'll effectively look at your business and go, all right, well, we can see your average credit balance is this, that you've maintained money in the bank. It's sort of almost a real live look at your business as opposed to the traditional way of the majors where all your financials, your tax returns, your ATO portal will crunch the whole whole position. So I know, look, you probably wouldn't seek out one of those to buy a property. But that being said, we have seen as well, um, you know, there, there are I sort of call them the, the second and third tier lenders that have just focused in on on commercial property. And they will, again, take a little bit more of a, a commercial approach than your traditional major bank policy. So, you know, they will rely on projections. They will add more weight to those sort of things, interim numbers and or meeting with the client or meeting with us and sort of help explain the the situation or the, or the scenario that might be there where, you know, at times maybe the major four could be a little bit guilty of at times just being very cookie cutter in that sort of policy. James, you've been at AS Mortgage Partners for a little while now and you've done an amazing job with our clients. Can you give us a, a real live example where you've assisted a client and you were really proud of that result and really had a significant impact on the client? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I might have given you two examples here. So we have helped a client here who had purchased a commercial property. The key for them was wanting to maximise the cash that 
they kept in their pocket. And, you know, obviously running a business, cash is king and that cash flow was important. So we're able to mold with them and lean on, they happen to have some equity in another property. So rather than sort of as alluded to at the start of this, them having to fork out and put in that extra cash, we were able to utilize another residential property they had there and get them their maximum amount. So, so it really didn't impact on, on the cash that they had to put in. We got them a great rate and some great terms and down the track as well, we're able to review that facility again and further improve the rate. So I think that's a great success. And there's nothing more satisfying when you can help a client get into a, a brand new place. You know, the, the excitement of having a new new commercial and a new a new you know a new place to call home. I think that's that's certainly satisfying from my point of view. But I guess, yeah, a, a little bit left to center then we can think of a, a hospitality group we had that needed, you know, a, a bit of a, a cash injection at really short notice, sort of, you know, towards the end of the year, they needed to sort out some supplies and a few bits and pieces and they couldn't or they didn't want to give bricks and mortar or property security. So we're able to to utilize uh, one of these, these smaller fintech lenders and get them that quick cash injection within a matter of days to be able to to sort out what they needed. So two, two very you know, contrasting examples, but two equally helping a client solve a, solve a problem. Yeah. I was involved in both of those and I know that the client was really satisfied with the results that we, we did get in those scenarios. We talked a little bit about the unsecured lending and what does FinTech mean? These companies and <laughs> banks that are out there that lend money on unsecured terms. What, what do you mean by FinTech? Yeah. Just, so how a lot of these would work if say you, you sort out a, a 50 or a hundred K loan to help bring some equipment into the country or buy some stock or whatever it might be. A lot of them will send you a link or send us a link to upload your bank statement. So it's, yeah, it's getting that real digital sort of age where they'll pull up your data, much like you guys here would pull through your, your client's details through the accounting software. They'll pull it straight through your bank statements and run their analysis around the live data that might be there for the last sort of three to six months. So I think that is a little bit the way that lending's going a little bit because traditionally, I guess, you know, right now, if I ask for your 2020 financials, well, it's it's a year lag. So I think we'll see a lot more of this start to creep in and the majors will start to incorporate it as well, where that access to live digital data will accompany how they'll make their assessment going forward. And in terms of unsecured lending, we have a lot of established clients, but at the same time, we have clients that are very early in their stage of growing their business and they may not have bricks and mortar and they may not have the ability to bring in security or cash. Is there any opportunities for clients to be able to borrow money for an idea? Do banks play in that field? Yeah, I think probably to answer that, I mean, the, the unsecured ones we've probably done with the majors have been perhaps businesses that might have a little bit more runs on the board. They might have strong balance sheets to back it up. Now, I'm not saying it's in, impossible with a major, but a major going into something like that, say they're they're acquiring another business, you know, a major lender would probably want to see a little bit of what you call hurt money in that. So a bit of the client sort of reaching into their pocket, putting some skin in the game as well, and or backing it up with with security. Now, of course, I'm clearly depending on the example or the strength of the business, that might vary. But that's where these second and third tiers can come in because sometimes it might just be a, a little 50K injection could be the difference to, to buy that first container of stock or to move into that new premises and fit it out. So yeah, there are some options definitely available with that. And we're, we're sort of seeing more players come into that market. James, just further to the example regarding client purchasing commercial property for their premises, banks still lending inside self-managed super funds. We have seen a couple of our clients structure their 
lending or their purchases inside of a self-managed super fund, is that an area that banks are now doing still? Yeah, well, interestingly enough, maybe about three, four years ago, all the major banks, probably the ones you can think of, all pulled out of that market. And I think a bit of the reason was they just saw it with the compliance that goes into it. They just saw it as a, a bit of a risk to carry. So yeah, there's a lot of clients that would have loans with with major banks in super are no longer offering them. So look, that would be, I think, one advantage we have here is we've got access to the several niche lenders that do offer them. So there are only a handful that would offer that sort of product. And particularly as well, I think it's really important with structures that you guys set up here and the advice and making sure it's all it all works well. We can be on the same page with the lending requirements matching the advice or the, the recommendation that you guys might have in, in setting that up. James, I wouldn't say it's definitely a minefield, but it's definitely there's a lot of moving parts in this commercial lending and it's a lot more complex than residential home lending. Is it imperative that a client use a broker and how do you bring value to the client? Well, I think a large part of it and perhaps is what worked well with us is a bit of that forward planning. Often these discussions might take place a year before the actual event. So I've seen it from examples here. You guys might start talking about your tax planning or you know, what all that might look like or what it might look like from an operations point of view. But equally important is, all right, well, how are we going to access the capital to do this? Do we have the the cash or the security? What is our income going to look like? What do our numbers look like? So I think the value add can come well before the transaction as well in, in sitting down with the likes of the team here and being able to work through some of these factors and, and variables in advance. And then I think just manoeuvring when the time strikes, well, there are a lot of lenders out, out there. They will all slight tweaks in policy about how they'll look at your business. Rates obviously are really important as well. Loan term, all those little things. So I'd like to think dealing with these lenders every day, we've got our, our finger on the pulse as to exactly who's doing what at what particular time. But as I said, more importantly, setting the framework out a fair way out to, to sort of help clients with this. So moving forward, let's talk a little bit about COVID over a year ago, Financial statements for FY2020 were affected three months for COVID and probably even more so in the 21 financial year. How are banks verifying and looking at how a business is going to be able to repay their debt? Are they adding back JobKeeper? Are they looking at years when it was unaffected? So can you yeah. talk us about maybe how banks are treating this? Absolutely. And it's, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a real interesting one, this. I spoke earlier about the home loan world being quite regulated. A lot of the lenders, if you're going for a home loan, for instance, won't add back or won't include the cash flow boost, that sort of thing. Other lenders might not include JobKeeper, which you know, might be a little bit harsh because that was, I looked at it, that was an income replacement, not a one-off handout or anything like that. But I guess if we're specifically talking about commercial lending, and this is one strength of commercial lending, is they're able to sit down and take that commercial view. So many of the lenders we've worked with, well, we've said, all right, we've sat down and we've been able to show 2020 numbers, 21 or whatever it might look like and talk through the gaps that are there. Okay. August, September last year, we know sales dropped off by 40% because the doors were shut for, for two weeks or whatever it might be. So I think the lenders, they've had no choice. They have to be able to adapt and apply a bit of common sense with that. So the right relationship, the right connection with the bank, they're the sort of things that we've helped articulate on behalf of clients. So being able to present their position to say, all right, well, that bottom line profit might've been down, but let's just look a little bit deeper in this and let's pull apart this month by month and present it to the bank in a way that, that we can sort of mitigate the fact that things might've changed for a few weeks. So 
It's all about presenting it the right way, I think, not just throwing numbers at, at, a, at a lender, you know, for them to interpret. I think what we try to do well here is pull all that apart in advance and present it in a way that the lender can understand and we can mitigate things from day one. And I have to say, in terms of the ongoing relationship, it's not a set and forget in the mortgage broking world in the commercial space. How do you continually assist clients post helping them get a loan and how do you keep them sort of not so much engaged, but how do you continue to add value post the loan? Yeah, well, that's exactly right. So we, you know, we, we set anniversary dates, just those, just the little things we want to keep in touch with them constantly, whether it be reminders about dates that might be coming up or, or just, just things of note that might be important to them, information or something relevant to their industry. Just like anything, picking up the phone, you're keen to, you get invested with your clients and you, you want to hear how they're going, whether it be in a business sense or a personal sense. So that's the best bit of the job is engaging with people. So don't really necessarily need an excuse to, to contact someone and, and say hello. And naturally, you know, you, you want to help them. And there might be times where, oh, you, you know, a rate might get slightly out of market and that's where you can go back to the bank and, and make sure that they, they sharpen the pencil or, you know, an opportunity might present to, to explore it elsewhere. So yeah, we, you know, we're there, we're not just here for a, a set and forget transaction. We want to work really closely with the accounting firm here as well, and and offer that that continued support. Well, you've definitely been an, an awesome addition to our to our group, and just wanted to say thank you for all your efforts. Thank you for joining me on no, the show it's today. Been great, thanks for having me. Thank you. This is the bottom line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. This podcast was produced by accountancy firm Alexander Spencer. At Alexander Spencer, we've been helping business owners realise their goals since 1952. And we play a pivotal role in developing, implementing and supervising the business goals and strategies of our clients. To find out how we can help your business succeed, head to our website, alexanderspencer.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Bottom Line, Be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Savan Tuna, and we'll be back next episode with more tips to help you transform your business. And that's The Bottom Line.